humbling and things that we can have in, in regards to this idea of living life together, discipling one another is, is our own children. Um, this week as I was thinking about what story or what image can I create that best illustrates this, I went back to my days and as, as a kid living on the farm in Nebraska. And when you're a kid on the farm in Nebraska, you have lots of opportunities to think. There's thinking while you're working in the fields with the cows. There's thinking while you're on tractors with dad. There's thinking while you're off just playing, building stick forts and trying not to burn down mom's white fence as you're taking and burning the trash. I remember back in those days, one thing that I, I look back on was my communication with Christ. I found myself often thinking about the Lord and, and often just conversing with Him as if He was walking right alongside next to me. I also remember looking at my father and going and just dreaming about it. Even at a very young age, I can remember thinking, man, I can't wait someday to be married, to have children, and to enjoy that incredible fellowship of, of having a family. And when I was a kid, I always thought that my relationship with my dad was, he was the one that was always teaching me. And I looked up to my dad, I, I wanted to follow his footsteps, you know, you see that image of, of a dad walking through some mud and his son is trying to stretch his legs to walk inside of each one of dad's footprints. Well, that's the way I kind of viewed my dad. And I always thought Dad was just pouring into me. And it's not until I become a parent that I realized how much my kids also pour into my life. It's not just me discipling them. From Ethan, my oldest son, who's turned 17 here in January, getting older, and, and Christy and I making that transition from leading him and guiding him to more coming alongside of him, and allowing him to make more of his own decisions and trying to guide his steps, but letting him make a few mistakes. Opening myself up to Ethan, to me opening up the pantry last night. He hears me open the pantry. I reach through the top shelf because it's above the girl's level. And in that top shelf thing is often M&M's and some, some Skittles. And, and Ethan hears me reaching for it and I get the dad. <laughs> What did you just tell the church family last week you're trying to work on? <laughs> my way, son, because you just don't need it. And allowing my son to disciple me. Elijah, is, he is completely different than his older brother. Ethan is a type A personality, very driven. Elijah loves cracking jokes and having fun. Elijah's my kid that will turn to me when I'm I don't know if you ever have these moments but when you're driving down the road and your kids are trying to talk to you but you're so focused on a topic that you're actually like moving your lips, talking to someone who isn't there, maybe even using hand gestures, and Elijah starts laughing in the back seat and says, Dad, you're taking things way too seriously right now. <laughs> to my daughter, Catherine who is a very strong child, but who God gave her that temperament so that she could work through and overcome some of the physical ailments that she has to struggle with. When she's pushing hard back against us and 
having a hard time communicating what's in her heart, so she just speaks harshly and I'm, in our eyes and lovingly. Get a glimpse of myself as I so often end with my sin. How my actions speak being loving towards my God, being self-centered and self-focused. She teaches me about myself more often than I To my little Kira, who just loves to cut. Sit down on the couch to watch a football game, and my little girl is right there to lean into me and curl up in my arms and remind me the most important things in life, just to take those moments to just be quiet and to be held. I wouldn't miss those moments for the world. Some of you are maybe thinking right now of your own childhood or maybe of your own kids right now. They may have grown and gone, maybe you're missing a little bit. Sorry, I didn't mean to make that this morning. The way those moments happen, though, they are not scheduled events. They just happen as we live life together and we go through the good times and the bad times. We share those moments and my kids touch my heart and powerfully impact me. If I love them, sometimes I'm resistant. As we look in the New Testament, as we look specifically at Matthew, this beautiful gospel that's been given to us, we see disciples walking with Jesus Christ and the perfect Savior teaching them as they walked together, as they spent time together. As the life events came their way, Jesus used everything to teach them, to change them, and to shape them. I pray this morning that nothing is wasted in the kingdom economics. That everything that we go through in life, God can use for His glory and for His purpose. Everything. He is that good. He is that I began to look at just going through Matthew the different transitional statements that the disciples would have transitioned with Jesus and as he would have taught them and it starts like when he came down from the mountain and when he entered Capernaum and when Jesus entered Peter's house and when Jesus saw a crowd and when he got into a boat and when they came to the other side and getting into a boat and Jesus passed on from there. Then the disciples of John came to him. And while he was saying these things to them, and as Jesus passed on from there, and as they were going, and, and when Jesus throughout all and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. And that's just chapters eight and nine. And Jesus was transitioning and moving and walking, and the disciples were walking along with him. And as they transitioned from place to place and went through event and events, Jesus was teaching them and exhorting them and encouraging them and showing them what their faith should look like and teaching them together. It's a beautiful image of their life together spent in the moments of teaching and learning from 
each other. And, and what's great is it wasn't just Jesus doing the teaching. Jesus let the disciples teach each other as Peter would put his foot in his mouth. And even using the mother of, of James and John and, and, and as, as they spoke, as she spoke to Jesus asking Jesus, who's going to, you know, can my boy sit at your right hand in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus using those moments to teach his disciples. He used the events of life to powerfully impact them and change them. You see, when we think of Jesus, we think of his teaching, he, he practiced what he preached. The most beautiful sermon ever written in scriptures, I believe Matthew 5. Chapters 5 through 8, excuse me, 5 through 7, as Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount. And if you look at the Sermon on the Mount and you study it, and then you move past that verse, chapter 7, and you start going to the rest of Matthew, you will see that the rest of Matthew is the application, is Jesus teaching his disciples how to live that out. He is a beautiful master. He teaches this beautiful sermon and then he spends the rest of Matthew saying, now I'm going to show you what it is to truly live this out. And you're going to make mistakes along the way and I'm going to be there to teach you, to rebuke you, to encourage you, to resort, restore you. And Jesus exhibited great compassion. I love it when Jesus is faced with the 5,000 and the 4,000 and the text of Matthew says... Jesus' heart literally broke for his people, uses this word of deep-seated emotion. When he saw the crowds, his heart broke for their spiritual state, and he was deeply moved. The disciples watching Jesus pour himself out as he his heart broke for these people. Jesus, he taught his disciples that he, they were to get away and to spend time alone in prayer with the Father. You would think that Jesus being fully God, fully man, that Jesus wouldn't need to get away and be with the Father, but Jesus sought the Father out to spend time with Him, to strengthen Him. Setting this incredible example for His disciples. Jesus celebrated. I think we don't think about that very much. The centurion's faith, Jesus' is exclamation about the centurion's faith or the Canaanite woman's faith isn't just this dull drum oh, I'm really glad you have faith like that that's good I have seen no greater faith in all of Israel Jesus celebrated, he was excited when Peter makes his proclamation that you are the Christ, the son of the living God blessed are you Peter Since it didn't happen in Matthew, we probably shouldn't talk about Jesus going to celebrate a wedding feast. Maybe that's a sermon for another day. Jesus was weird. Jesus got tired. He needed to rest. He needed time alone. Jesus was frustrated. Jesus got frustrated with his disciples. Why haven't you understood? Where is your faith? Why do you have little faith? Get behind me, Satan. Peter got frustrated with, or Jesus got frustrated with his disciples. And Jesus was, was grieved 
by sin. And Jesus was grieved by the actions of the Israelites. Jesus was grieved that the Israelites weren't following and pursuing the God, their God. And Jesus became angry when he threw out the money changers in the temple, defiling the house of God. Jesus knew what it was to be abandoned. Completely. Jesus knew what it was to be betrayed. That image of Judas coming up and kissing Christ on the cheek. Jesus full knowing well that this was going to happen. I still think that was a deep dagger in his heart and hurt him. Jesus suffered unjustly. Jesus was murdered. We also know that Jesus was very patient and Jesus restored his disciples. Jesus did all of that without sin. Jesus went through all of those moments without sin. Why do I bring this up? Why do I walk through these things with you this morning? And looking at what it was like for to walk with Jesus because this is where the disciples got to spend time, see, and experience. You see, Jesus set the bar way up here and his expectation was the disciples would spend the rest of their lives working and desiring to follow in Jesus' steps. He put it on them to spend time together, to work together towards these ends. They were to go out together. They were to minister to one another. They were to remind each other of what Jesus Christ had said. They were to remind each other of the standard that our Savior had set as they lived together. It wasn't just for the disciples to live this way. And I think that we often look at this and we say, well, that was great for, for Jesus and the disciples. But what does it look like for us today to live life on life with each other? I think Hebrews chapter 10, I'd like to turn over there. I'd love for you to join me there. Hebrews is towards the end of the New Testament. Hebrews 10. Hebrews is another, I tend to believe that Hebrews is a, is a very well masterpiece sermon that was written. The application of Hebrews is beautiful. Hebrews spent some wonderful time walking through the powerful theology and understanding that Jesus is the high priest. And that the sacrifice that he made makes it possible for approaching the throne of grace whenever we need. And he goes here and says in Hebrews chapter 10, Verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since you have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. 
let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The application of this passage, let us, the exhortation, three different exhortations come from this. Let us, let us, let us. And they're all completely based upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. Specifically, that that he sacrificed that because of the blood of Jesus, we now have direct access to God the Father. Now, we sit on what when I think about for a while, it is mind-blowing to think. We have direct access to God the Father. The people who struggles with sin, the people who struggles following perfectly after Jesus has direct access to the Father. The second foundation for these exhortations is it says, and since we have a great high priest, and Hebrews talks about what this means. We have a high priest who doesn't take a day off. We have a high priest who will never be replaced. We have a high priest who sits at the right hand of God the Father. And as our junk and our sins continually come up before, Christ says they are under my blood and remain in relationship with you, Father. The Father sees us through the lens of our high priest, Jesus Christ, as he intercedes on our behalf. Perfect forever. Because of this, my personal theology tends to lead me towards the since Christ is my great high priest, it's his work accomplishing on my behalf. So I have this incredible security. And I was reminded this week how much I need to believe in that. But we struggle this way. We struggle to follow out these exhortations. The first exhortation is in verse 22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart full of truth. Let us come before the Lord our God with confidence and the work of Jesus Christ. We're going to go confidently and boldly approach the throne of grace because of what Jesus did on our behalf. In verse 24, And let us consider how to stir one another up. Excuse me, verse 23 first. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let's be steadfast in the work of Jesus Christ. When we think upon His work, there is no if, there is no but, there is His work. And we hold fast to that confession. And that means that since we have this hope in Jesus Christ, we hold on to it unwaringly and we continue to profess it to others. And He says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. I know that sometimes we use this passage in verse 25 to state that this is why we must not neglect the gathering together on Sunday mornings, but I believe he's talking about so much more. This is talking about the life, expect the expectancy for us to spend life together outside of here. Because if you're going to stir one another up to love and good works, how on a Sunday morning are you going to stir each other up if I'm the one that's doing the primary communication? The way we stir one another up, the way we encourage one another is 
Monday through Saturday, the time away from this place, checking in with each other, spending time together, encouraging one another, lifting each other up, reminding each other of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work that was accomplished on our behalf, reminding each other that we can boldly approach the throne of grace when we need help, reminding each other of the confession of faith that we continue need to profess to our community and to each other as we struggle to have problems of idolatry in our lives, struggle to problems that have our awe stolen from the Almighty. We are to be gathering together, spending time exhorting and encouraging, not neglecting to meet meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, and I believe the day that he is referencing here is the day of the end times. And brothers and sisters, I hear now more than ever people talking about these days of growing evil and, and who are praying for the return of the king. And so it says we're supposed to do it even more as we see those days approaching. Now, this is contrary to some doctrine and some theology that is being espoused in churches that we're going to isolate ourselves from society as we see these days approaching. We're going to pull away from one another and hide out. In fact, Hebrews is saying here we're supposed to do the exact opposite. The more evil you see today growing, the more harder the times it is to live out your faith, the more you should be gathering together, the more time you should be spending with one another and encouraging one another, because you're going to need this exhortation, you're going to need this encouragement to remind you that Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice, that His blood is sufficient to completely wipe away your sin. And second of all, that we are to continually profess this message, that we have this great high priest who won't take the day off. He is the faithful one, so we can be faithful. Brothers and sisters, it's not just something that Jesus did with his disciples, but it's an expectancy for us to continue to do today, to live life together, to pour into each other's lives. And I think the reason this is so difficult is a straight example of the evil one's impact to dislodge the church, to divide the church. But we are going to struggle to live this way. In Ephesians chapter 4, the passage that I read for you this morning we see some struggles that we have to live this way. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32, there are some things that were lifted here. He starts off in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we were members of one another. A.K.A. drop the mask. Stop it. Stop fronting. Stop acting like you're somebody that you're not. Stop trying to put on a front for other people because that maybe that's what you think they want you to be. When you're in your brokenness, be in your brokenness. When you're rejoicing, rejoice. Care for one another. Stop lying to each other. Stop it. It damages the body. It keeps us from drawing together. It keeps us from living together. It keeps us from pouring into each other's lives and encouraging each other. Stop it. Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, and to us. But we're members of one another. We are united together. We're supposed to be building each other. We're supposed to be encouraging each other. We're supposed to be this close-knit body of the Lord. 
Why would a family lie to each other? I know what lying does in my family. That's something that my daughter struggles with is lying. And nothing hurts more than having your daughter look you right in the eyes and tell you a lie and not even flinch. You question her love for you. You question your ability to parent. You question a lot of different things in those moments. And lying, and then everything that she says to you, she comes home and tells you about your day, and instead of rejoicing with her, the first thing you go to is she lying to me. How much more so in the body of Christ when we lie to each other and when we put on pretenses and falsehoods? Are they being real with me? <clears throat> Do they truly care? Another struggle Paul brings up here is he says, Be angry and do not sin. That our anger is not supposed to divide the church, but to, when we anger, our anger is supposed to be against the things that would damage the church, destroy the church. When we get angry, that we're not supposed to let the sun go down on our anger. That this is the idea we're not to sin. We're not to harm and let it become sin. Give no opportunity to the devil. We are supposed to stand guard. Ephesians chapter 6 deals with this. And even more so, we are supposed to put on the full armor of God and as a body of believers stand against the evil one and his schemes as a body of believers united. But how are we supposed to do this? Unite together, to stand against the schemes together. And this is the only time that we're gathering together and pouring into each other's lives. Isolationism is not a spiritual gift, folks. It is a tool that I believe the devil loves to use to keep the body from growing strong. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Listen. We're supposed to benefit, our actions are supposed to benefit one another. We're not supposed to have this, the leech and the, the community of faith that continually draws from the body, taking from the body, taking from the body, taking from the body, taking from the body. But we're to have this idea of benefiting one another. In verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. When doing some research on this terminology this week, corrupting talk is things that we say that divide the body. Things that we say that are don't benefit the united of the body in Jesus Christ, but rather we're, we're talking about things that split and destroy the unity of the body of Christ. That is corrupting talk, and it is not supposed to be part of the family, that we're supposed to build each other up. Another struggle that we have, it says here, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When the Holy Spirit leads, guides, and prompts His body, we are to follow and pursue where the Holy Spirit leads. It grieves the Holy Spirit to act in disobedience to the prompting, to the leading, and also to the Word of God. We are not to grieve the Holy Spirit in our actions. And then in 31, he wraps it up by saying, all bitterness, we are not to be a bitter people. We are not to be no people known for wrath, anger, clamor, slander. But put away from you along with all malice. Maybe as I've been reading through this list, you identified things that maybe you're currently seeing that you're in your own life or in the life of 
of, of others, the reason that, man, I just won't draw close to the family of God because I've experienced some of these things. I just can't do it. And by saying that, you're limiting the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to help you overcome that hurt. He's going to keep you distant. The whole evil one's going to keep you distant from drawing into the body of Christ. Bad things happen in families. My family is no exception. My kids, my wife, my wife sins against me, I sin against her. My kids sin against me, and I sin against them. We hurt one another. We forgive one another. We repent. We restore our relationships, and we continue to drive forward. And the deeper and the more often we do this, the closer we draw to one another, and the more we trust one another. And I'm telling you, the more you spend time with each other outside of the walls of this building, like Jesus did with his disciples, the more the sin is revealed, the more stuff that we're going to have to work through. Praise God and hallelujah. Because God wants his family built up by themselves. No. Scripture says it's together. Together. As Jesus spent time with his disciples and he walked with them, he drew them together. He he taught them to be a family, to be a church family. And they in turn taught others to be a family, to be a church family. And they lived life together. Study these epistles. Why did they Paul write these epistles to teach volumes of theology? No, he did it so that they would learn how to act and learn how to live as a body of believers in the kingdom of God. He is looking to change our hearts and change our lives for His glory. It happens as we live life together outside of these walls, drawing together as a people united for the kingdom work of God. Brothers and sisters, the struggles will not stop this side of the kingdom of heaven. Everything that Paul just listed here, I guarantee you, will not stop even with this body of believers. But we have a choice. We can help each other through these times of disrupting talk, of putting on lies. When was the last time you turned to a person in this family and said, Stop. You don't have to put on a front for me. You can be real. We can work through this together. Let's talk plainly with one another. And if this is not your church home, if you're visiting with us this morning, you've got to plug in in your home, town, wherever you're from. You've got to plug in. You've got to become part of your family. Draw near together. Strengthen one another. See God working out in your lives together. Because what's awesome, but the most wonderful thing is in my family, my nuclear family, is to watch the victories that take place. <clears throat> to watch my daughter when she has, when Catherine has those moments where she just breaks down because God gives her that glimpse of this is sin, Catherine, and this is damaging your little heart. And she starts weeping. Those are glorious moments in our household. And we celebrate them together. It's Ethan, this happened. Elijah, I've got to tell you about this. Kira, did you see Sissy crying? Yes, my heart was sad for Sissy. 
Well, you know what? It was a good thing. How is crying good? And we're going to share with little Kira the gospel. Her up in Jesus Christ and these things with Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit is breaking our hearts for Him. It is a wonderful thing. And it benefits not just our family, but this family as well. But it's really hard to celebrate these events in our lives when we're isolated from one another. When we're saying some hurt, some sin in our past is too great for God to overcome, and so we keep isolated. Or we say we are just too busy to gather together in the body and be a family. Everyone loves that. Loves it. This next year, my passion, my heart, and my continual prayer. This morning I was a little late coming down. So I just had to get on my knees before God and lift our time together up. This prayer that I'm asking you to join me in praying that in 2016 we become family. A united family in Jesus Christ on mission for God's kingdom work through everything that we have in our lives. We see ourselves as discipling one another and we need each other in our lives to pour into each other. To rejoice, to celebrate, to spend time with, to fellowship, to hone, to sharpen each other and love one another to the world. This year, 2016, as elders, we are really trying and focused not to make a lot of changes this year. We've been through a lot of changes in the last coming up on four years. But this year, we really want to focus on just drawing together as a family of God, a mission for God in, in this valley. You see, the great command of the Lord your God cannot be separated. The and there is not do this one, then do this one, but rather it's uniting, draws the two together. It says, love your Lord your God and love one. And as we love one another, we love our God. And as we love our God, we love one another. You cannot love God, do not love one another. You can't. You can't. You have to do both together. That is what God has called us to do. And that takes place not just here on Sunday morning as we gather together, as we're strengthened hopefully together, as we rejoice and sing these amazing songs together, as we spend time together in prayer, as we give of our resources and talents and time. But it also takes place, most powerfully takes place, as we spend time outside of here, being real with one another, talking about our struggles, talking about our celebrations, talking about those who are in our lives that we need to be praying for, that they may too join us in the family of God. Following King Jesus. He taught us brilliantly. He taught the disciples amazingly. He is still teaching us today through His Word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and they would truly be as it was said in Matthew, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10. Let's not forsake the gathering together of the believers. And even more so as the day draws. Please join me. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the wonderful lessons we learned from our own families that teach us even greater lessons that going on within the church family. You have told us that the relationship between the husband and wife is a, is a depiction of the relationship between Christ and the church. You give us our families to continue to remind us we're part of a greater family of God. Lord, we love you. We want to live our lives for you. We want to teach others to live this way. Father God, thank you for convicting our hearts, for drawing us closer. Thank you so much that you're worthy of worship, glory, and praise. Worthy of our time. Worthy of our, our efforts, our energy, Lord God. And thank you so much, Father, that you are a loving and compassionate God. Thank you, Jesus, for being that great high that enables us to daily live this, to daily keep getting back up and keep challenging one another. And when we fall, we get back up and keep pursuing you because you pursued us first. We love you, Lord. Jesus, most holy and wonderful, powerful, and
Hebrews chapter 13, starting verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood and eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do in his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom we glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a wonderful week.